fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the show. Here's what we got coming up for you this week. Yes, LinkedIn is favoring the algorithm of people who are creating that type of content. Every time I go live, my 14,600 and some followers on LinkedIn are notified. I don't pay for that. It's great marketing and nobody else is doing it. That's Andrew Moon from Orange Nomad. He's a former MSP owner and arguably one of the most knowledgeable people about LinkedIn in our world. He's gonna be joining me on the podcast later on. Plus, we're gonna be talking shortly about something called the walk and talk. If you wanna have a chat with your team, why sit in a stuffy meeting room where you can get outside and go and have a walk and talk about it? Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. I don't watch a huge amount of TV. I try and limit myself to no more than an hour a day. And that hour has to be filled with something pretty high quality. Just recently, I've been watching something on Disney Plus. It's in their start section. It's called The Dropout. And it's the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. I don't know if you're up to speed with this story, but it was a tech startup which a few years ago completely crashed because essentially the technology they said they were creating, they weren't creating at all. And there was a big high profile trial in January this year. And this is a a really good uh, dramatization of the whole situation. And it stars, can't remember her name, is it Amanda Seyfried? The one who's in Mamma Mia. Um, But yeah, she plays Elizabeth. Holmes so brilliantly. Now, the episode I was watching last night, Elizabeth Holmes, so the the character, was appearing at some kind of technology show and she was being interviewed about something called the imposter syndrome. I'd completely forgotten about imposter syndrome. Now, you yourself may have suffered from this syndrome without even knowing that it had a name. Because I have certainly suffered from it and most of the business owners I've ever met in my career have suffered from it at some point or another. What is the imposter syndrome? Well, it's where essentially you start to doubt yourself. So you could have been in tech for 10, 15 years. You could be a highly experienced level three technician. You know exactly how to either solve every problem or where to go and find the information to solve every problem. You are as good as they get. And you know this because you started your MSP, you run it brilliantly and everything goes well most of the time because nothing's ever brilliant all the time. Imposter syndrome is what happens when a little slither of doubt just comes into your mind. Actually, it's not really your mind. It's more your emotions. Imposter syndrome is more an emotional thing. And you actually have that feeling It's almost a sick feeling that you're an imposter, that you're making this up as you go along, and that at some point, you're gonna get caught. In fact, this is the exact conversation I have with MSP owners when we talk about imposter syndrome, the fear, but I might be caught one day. Someone might find out that I don't know as much as I actually know. Now, maybe that's not such a thing when you're talking to ordinary business owners and managers. Maybe that's more of a thing when you're talking within our world, when you're talking to other MSP owners or other people in the channel. This is a very, very, very friendly vertical. I've never known uh, a sector so friendly and yet lots and lots of different opinions, especially if you go onto something like Reddit. If you've ever been onto the MSP subreddit, oh, 
That's like the Wild West. You can go on there with an opinion and there'll be 20 anonymous people there with loaded guns ready to tell you that your opinion is completely wrong. Because, of course, that's the worst thing about Reddit. You can hide behind an anonymous handle. Here's the thing with imposter syndrome. Everyone has it and you've just got to get over it. And I've got no particular coping strategy to give to you other than you just got to believe yourself. You've got to trust yourself. In 2016, when I first got into the world of managed services, I had massive imposter syndrome because I knew my marketing stuff, my B2B marketing stuff inside out. And even in the six years since then, you know, I would say I've doubled my knowledge and my capability. But six years ago, back in 2016, I definitely knew what I was talking about. And I knew a little bit about technology and a little bit about IT. But I, in my first year or so, I had huge imposter syndrome. I was constantly asking myself, what am I doing here? How do I know that this stuff works? You know, how can I set myself up as, an, as a marketing expert in this world when actually I'm just a general B2B marketing expert? And it was over a period of time that I discovered that 80 to 90% of what I'd brought into this world, this sector, actually was particularly valid. And then I've learned that sort of final 10, 15, 20% over the last few years just by putting in the hard work, working very closely with MSPs and seeing what exactly works and what exactly doesn't work. But even I felt that imposter syndrome and it's almost impossible to stop it. It's almost impossible to stop that sick feeling that you might be caught. If ever you get yourself in this position, you have to just kind of try and work your way out of it. Remind yourself that you've done the work, you've got the experience, you know what you're doing. If you were no good at the technical work, you wouldn't keep the clients. Because even though they don't know what they don't know, they do know when someone really can't do their job properly. They do know over a year or a couple of years, if you as a business just can't fix things and you can't prevent things from going wrong in the first place, they will catch you if you are genuinely no good at what you do. Now, I'm assuming that 99% of the people listening to this podcast are actually very good at what they do. And certainly, if you're keeping clients past a couple of years, if they're willingly, happily choosing to sign a new contract with you, really, you've got no worry about imposter syndrome at all. I have a notice board that I keep up in front of my desk and I sort of pin things on there that I think of interest. Now, I've actually got my, my sitting standing desk in standing mode, so I can't see it at the moment. So I'm just going to go and grab the board because the, there's something on there I want to read to you. So hang on. Don't go away. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to grab this board. Right. I've got the, got the board here. And uh, there's, there's a couple of things written on here. In fact, I, I really, really should read some of these out to you one day. But this is the one I want to read to you. And it's a quote by Denzel Washington, the actor. This is such a great quote. This resonated with me so much that I printed it out and put it on this board. Denzel Washington said, You'll never be criticized by someone who is doing more than you. You'll always be criticized by someone doing less. Remember that. Very sound words. Thank you very much, Denzel Washington. To me, that's the thing that takes away imposter syndrome. If you are criticized by someone, chances are they're doing less than you and they're not really someone whose opinion you should value. If you have that feeling yourself, you've got to find a way to get rid of it. If that feeling is put there by someone else on something like Reddit or some kind of platform like that, just remember what the great Denzel Washington says. The only people who criticize are those who are doing less. Imposter syndrome is not real. It's a horrible emotional feeling where we feel we're going to get caught and the reality is we're not. Why? Because you and I are actually very good at what we do. 
Here's this week's clever idea. I started the last bit talking about Theranos, and I'm going to start this bit talking about Steve Jobs at Apple. Get me being across Silicon Valley this episode. Now, when Steve Jobs died, when was that? Um, Alexa, when did Steve Jobs die? Hi, Paul. Sadly, Steve Jobs died on October 5th, 2011. Thank you. 2011. Okay. Oh, and by the way, apologies if I've just triggered off your Alexa with that. So back in 2011, when Steve Jobs, I don't know if you remember, but it was it was very unexpected and it happened uh, very, very quickly. And um, I was I'm such an Apple fan. I immediately went and got a couple of the books about Steve Jobs, the one by I think it's Walter Isaacson, which is a very, very in-depth biography about Steve Jobs. That's that's one I've read two or three times over the years. And one of the things I loved about the way that Steve Jobs did business was that he liked to do something called a walk and talk. So if he had an important meeting with someone, he wouldn't always want to sit inside a meeting room. Often they would just go for a walk. Admittedly, that's probably easier in California where it is sunny every single day. Certainly here in the UK, there are some days you wouldn't go for a walk and talk. But he used to take people out and they would have a chat while they were walking. And from a kind of a a human physiology point of view, That's a very, very smart thing to do because when you are walking and you're exercising, your brain is actually functioning in a slightly different way. It's better. It's a better way of doing it. You know, when we sit down in chairs, sitting around a meeting table, oh my goodness, it's dull. It's so not good for our bodies. Our postures are wrong. Our brains are sleepy. You know, there's not a lot of anaerobic exercise. Is it anaerobic or aerobic? I can't remember. There's just not a lot going on in our bodies in a very healthy way when we're sat around a meeting room, banging our heads repeatedly onto a meeting table. What we really want to be doing is doing some exercise. We're humans. We're designed to be either moving or not moving, you know, moving or sleeping. That's the way we were built hundreds of thousands of years ago. So the walk and talk, I think, is a great way of talking to your team. And maybe this is a habit that you can form with your team. You want to chat to a technician about something? It doesn't always have to be in a meeting room or even in front of a computer screen. Why not go for a 10-minute walk around the block? In fact, imagine if you did one-to-ones with your team on a regular basis just going for a walk. You are having a walk with them, wandering around the streets where you are, assuming it's safe to do that in the streets where you are, or you drive out to a green space somewhere and you just go for a walk. What a great way to do a one-to-one because you don't need to sit in front of a computer screen to do something like that. Now, what about if your team are remote? Well, if they're remote, it's even easier. In fact, what you could do is you could arrange for you to go for a walk at your location and them to go for a walk at their location. So you're both walking at the same time on a phone call or on a video call. And yeah, there'll be a bit of, oh, you know, getting out of breath, huffing and puffing. It doesn't matter though, does it? Because you can still have a quality conversation and your brains are going to be firing off like anything. There's going to be so much energy in that conversation. It's going to be a much better conversation than if you were just sat on on Zoom talking to each other. The walk and talk is such a simple thing to do. It gets us off our butts. It gets us outside. It gets some fresh air, some vitamin D from the sunshine, and we get some regular exercise and the content of the meeting is better and we feel good when we get back. What's not to like about the walk and talk? Paul's blatant plug. Thousands of MSPs now have a free copy of my book called Updating Servers, 
Doesn't Grow Your Business. It's a physical book which we'll post out to you if you're based in the US or in the UK. Let me read you a little bit from page 35. This is chapter 10, why you need to take more holidays. So when you systemize the business, it's time to go skiing or book a cruise or a fortnight at Disney or whatever floats your boat. Just go on holiday. In fact, do it at least two or three times a year. If you really can't afford a nice foreign holiday, then stay at home and do some day trips. But make sure you have a proper break. A proper break is where there are no phone calls, no emails, nothing at all. From 5pm on the Friday you finish to 9am on the Monday you start again. Not a single interruption. Because, boss, sorry to bother you, but XYZ client's not happy with this. Can you sort it out? Will interrupt the critical mental task you must undertake on your holiday. Which is to not think about the business for a few days at least. You see, after a few quality days enjoying the sun, sipping cocktails, you'll wake up one morning and you won't be able to stop thinking about the business. But you'll be thinking about the really important things and not the daily clutter. So that's on page 35. It's a really quick read. There's only, what is the 40, 48 pages in this. We've designed it as the quick guide to improving the marketing and the growth of your business. It's called Updating Servers Doesn't Grow Your Business, and you can get your free copy shipped to you from Paul Green's MSPMarketing.com. The Big Interview. Hi, I'm Andrew Moon. I run a company called Orange Nomad. I turn hustling entrepreneurs into calm, unstoppable CEOs. That's a really good intro. And Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I have a long list of people that I can't quite believe haven't yet been on the podcast. And your name was right up there at the top. It's an absolute delight to get you on here. I've been following you for a couple of years. Now, I want to talk particularly about uh, LinkedIn today. I think LinkedIn has some huge, huge opportunities for MSPs throughout this year. Before we talk about LinkedIn, which I know is your absolute specialist subject, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your story? Because I know you've, you've been in the, the tech world since before Windows 95, haven't you? I have, yeah. I've been an entrepreneur since age eight. Uh, so I've been a diehard entrepreneur, run many businesses, but Specifically, like the last 25, 30 years been in the tech space in one facet or another throughout the dot-com boom all the way up to I sold my MSP in 2014. So how long did you have that MSP for? We were a full-fledged MSP for 10 solid years from 2004 when my, my son was six months old when I, when I relaunched Network Logics as a full-fledged MSP. So that was way in the early days where all of the tools, the MSP space was really in its infancy. Um, but grew that to the point where I was able to sell that uh, in 2014. And now I actually help other tech entrepreneurs uh, with the things that I've learned good, bad and ugly over running a business for uh, 10 years. Yeah, I bet. And I, I imagine um, getting, because I, I, I did a similar thing I sold. It wasn't a tech business, it was a marketing agency, but I sold that after 10 years of work. And I think that's almost a, it's it's almost like the perfect amount of time, isn't it? That you've got 10 years of energy to put into something. I don't know if you felt when you sold yours, but I certainly felt as though I'd completed the circle, that the business was finished, it could operate without me. And I kind of wasn't ready to put any more time into that business. Is that how you felt with your MSP? It was, there was a lot of things came to the fore in 20 2014, uh, you know, I hit 40 years old. It was, it was just, it was time. Um, my son was 10 years old. I was to the point where I took it to where I wanted to go. We were just about a million dollars and I didn't know that I wanted to continue on for another five or 10 years. Uh, for me, I had that itch to 
get back into a startup. It was just a, kind of that perfect uh, culmination of timing, uh, you know, my body getting old, all that fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, it just it just made sense. You say your body getting old. If you were if you turn forty in twenty fourteen, that makes you and I pretty much the same age. So I'm forty seven now, turning forty eight in the summer. I turned forty eight in a couple of weeks. So this I know this podcast will go out after my birthday, but yeah. Uh, in two weeks, I turned 48. Okay. So. Clearly, clearly those uh, those few extra weeks that you've got on me must make such a difference to you. Right, let's talk about LinkedIn. So as you, as you just said, we are actually recording this in the middle of February. And the, the we, we record really far ahead with this podcast. Now, the reason I state that is obviously this interview isn't being played out till May, but we're going to be talking about uh, some some stuff which LinkedIn is releasing. And I know that LinkedIn has been working on this for some time, but obviously we, we can't guarantee 100% that everything will be in May exactly as we think it's going to be when we're recording this in February. So we'll talk about the new cool stuff in a second. Let's just first of all talk about LinkedIn overall for MSPs because you are pretty much known, Andrew, as the go-to guy for LinkedIn for MSPs. It, it kind of came about by accident. Um you know, the whole, you know, coaching and training on LinkedIn. I used LinkedIn extensively. I kind of stumbled on to a methodology, a framework while I was running my MSP. Like everybody else, I tried every single piece of marketing or every tactic, marketing tactic known to man. Blew through tons of cash on coaching, training, uh, wasted marketing efforts. Until I came upon, again, I, I stumbled upon it by accident, really, with LinkedIn. I had been, I've been on LinkedIn since like 2006. Really didn't you start using it extensively until probably 2011, 2012. So, but I stumbled upon the power of LinkedIn when I was planning a lunch and learn. We did in-person events. That was really one of the things I enjoyed uh, with running an MSP. But where I stumbled on LinkedIn is we were a couple of weeks out from an event. I only had probably seven or eight people registered. So I decided I was going to get on LinkedIn and send personal invitations out to people that I had connected with over the last couple of years prior to that. Didn't think anything of it. Went home for the night. Came back in the next morning. I had like 27 registrations and my LinkedIn inbox was full, full of messages. And they read pretty similar, but I probably had 50 or 60 messages. People said, hey, thank you for inviting me to this event. Uh, I can't come to this one, but unfortunately, please invite me to the next one. And it was just one after another after another. And you and I are in the marketing game. And you know that the hardest thing with marketing is getting a response of any mm -hmm. kind. Mm -hmm. And that's where the light bulb came on for me was maybe there is something to my LinkedIn network. Maybe there is something to this LinkedIn thing. So I started with LinkedIn on our next lunch and learn the next quarter. We put, I think, 55 people in a room for a lunch and learn event. And that was by far up to that time, my most successful event strictly off of one thing. And that was my LinkedIn marketing. We didn't do anything else. I wanted to see if there was something to this LinkedIn thing. So I started documenting everything we were doing with LinkedIn. I regularly did outreach, made connections and spent Thursday afternoons, having coffee meetings with people and having coffee meetings with people who, uh, who may not become clients. And it was just an enormous thing came of that. It's just the momentum that we got. We got referrals. I got leads from everywhere, all because of how I interacted with people on LinkedIn and went about it with the attitude of serving and creating connections and relationships first. 
And obviously that was, well, you started doing that uh, dramatically a number of years in the past. And since then, of course, Microsoft has acquired LinkedIn and LinkedIn has definitely evolved in many ways. I, I've seen that it's it's in part not copied, but been inspired by Facebook's algorithms because LinkedIn works in very similar ways to Facebook sometimes, but it's also gone off and done its own thing. As a usable tool, as a, as a lead generation tool, do you think LinkedIn has more power today than when you first started using it or has, has, has it gone off in a completely different direction? I, it was 2012 when, it, when that light bulb came on for me. Here we are 10 years later and we're still talking about LinkedIn being a wide open platform. Um, and especially for our audience, which are IT providers, it is still a wide open platform. So I think, you know, given the things that LinkedIn has pulled in, especially in the last two years since COVID, I'm excited about where they're going with, with the platform. I'm excited about some of the things that they're rolling out are usable tools that nobody else is doing, especially in the IT space. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of them today, but uh, you know, it, I think it's exciting if I'm an MSP because here is a platform where I can stand out from everybody else because nobody's doing it. Everybody's afraid to get on there and, and create relationships and put themselves out there. Well, let me ask you about that. What, what's the fear? What is it do you think that stops MSPs from fully embracing LinkedIn and throwing themselves into it? Is it, is it a worry that, you know, that I, I can't do this, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about or I, I don't, or is it, is it just a case that they don't really understand the platform or is it a fear that actually everyone's already doing it, even though that's not the case? It's a combination of the two. I, I think the fear comes in all of the noise and different approaches to LinkedIn. I mean, there's LinkedIn gurus. You and I both know that there's different methodologies with how to tackle LinkedIn. But one of the things that has st stood the test of time is the ability to create and nurture relationships. It's time consuming. Everybody wants the easy button, especially when it comes to lead generation. So I, okay, I'm going to get on LinkedIn and that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the easy button and leads are going to start rolling in. Um, but I think the fear is putting themselves out there and being authentic. Um, and that's one of the first things that I teach, especially IT providers with their personal LinkedIn profile is to make it personal. Tell us about why you got in business. Tell us what, what is it that you do that makes you different than every other IT professional? And especially the folks that are running IT firms, a CEO wants to see another CEO, not a technician. Mm. And I think that that's the fear is people don't feel that they have a good enough story. But when you dig in, you find out how a lot of these ladies and gentlemen have started their IT practices and, and their reasons why. They're incredibly interesting stories. Uh, but I think it's, it's fear that I got to get on there and I got to sell because that's why I'm here. But when you, when you take it from a different perspective, that you're, gonna, you're there to create a relationship and add value, that's when the platform completely changes for you, yeah. for you. Yeah, so it becomes a, a way of reaching people and a way of starting that that engagement with them rather than a, a selling platform. That makes complete sense. So let's talk about these two big things that LinkedIn is launching this year, and they both sit under something called Creators. Can you tell us what the Creators program is? That was one of the things. I think they launched it like last August. They they enabled Creator mode, um, and I think there was a lot of yeah, ambiguism as to what that was and what the, what were the benefits. 
they weren't real clear when they launched it, but now it is becoming more clear uh, and they're being much more defined in the things that they're rolling out. The two of the biggest benefits that they've just rolled out, which I have seen tremendous benefit for one of them, uh, is newsletters and the ability to come up with, you know, put out newsletters, not only for your personal profile, but also your company pages, but LinkedIn live, live streaming. Um, I think that they have finally figured out that there is, there is some market share to live streaming. Um, and I've been doing it since April Fool's day of 2020. I went, I went live for the first time on a regular basis on LinkedIn. I've had LinkedIn live since like 2019, but didn't really start taking it seriously till 2020. Uh, but an amazing thing has come from that is the community that, uh, that we've drawn from doing that on a regular basis. And I've also generated business from it. And I do absolutely zero selling at all on those live streams. But it's building that no like, and trust factor. You and I both know it doesn't get any better than video. I mean, people see you. They see how you interact. They get to know you as a person. And if that clicks, what are they going to do when they need what you have to offer? You are the first person that they think of. So I think that that in itself has got me excited. I've been waiting for them to really take that seriously, um, the live streaming component. And I think the other fear with that on MSPs is what if nobody shows up? Or how do I do it? You know, what are the technical aspects of doing live streaming? It's really not any different than doing a webinar. It's just you're doing it live um, and you do a webinar generally live. It's it's the same thing. It's just different, different mechanism, different, different tools. Uh, but I think that that is a again, it is a wild open wild west on the LinkedIn. If you're an MSP to educate people. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I think that that's what people want is that education on what they do. I completely agree. And um, live streaming is terrifying to many people because it's live. Um, I was a radio presenter for 10 years. And the funny thing is what you find uh, when you record content is that it takes you longer because you can stop and go back and, you know, and do it better. Whereas when you're doing something live, you tend to perform at a higher level anyway. That's certainly what, what I found. And I think live streaming is a beautiful thing because you, you just need to be yourself. You know, you don't have to be a polished presenter. You can just be yourself. What's interesting about LinkedIn Live. And it's only really in the last couple of weeks that I've noticed as I've been in LinkedIn, it's been popping up and saying, oh, you know, this person who's your contact is live right now. And yep. in the same way that, that, you know, this was brand new to Facebook back in 2014, 2015, I, I remember distinctly for the first time, you know, being on Facebook and seeing it come up and saying one of your friends was live and being able to actually watch a, a live video stream with a friend. Obviously, LinkedIn, it, it, it's, a, it's a more business orientated one. What's really good about this, and I know now, this is the same with newsletters as well, is that algorithmically LinkedIn is putting a lot of attention on this. So when you go live on LinkedIn, it's it's the algorithm is notifying more people and it's 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 trying harder to get people to watch your live stream. When you publish a newsletter, and we've only just got into newsletters ourselves and got our members of our MSP Marketing Edge service into it. When you publish a newsletter, it puts that content in front of more people. It emails out all of your connections. You know, it, it, it wants you to have subscribers. So I guess when you talk about the Wild West here, are you saying because LinkedIn wants these new creator mode features to work, that's why 
it's it's trying a lot harder to put eyeballs on the stuff that you create in creator mode. It is. And, and, and it's like I said, I've studied that where I've really been following our metrics as to what is the engagement on our live streams uh, versus just, again, like you said, that pre-recorded content. You know, they see what's going on over in YouTube land. I mean, they see that people going live on on YouTube and how much engagement that 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 brings. It's just the excitement that you get from a live stream is completely different than a Zoom webinar. I mean, it, I don't it, it is really hard to explain that dynamic. But yes, LinkedIn has figured out, OK, there's there's something to this. Um, I forget the name of the company they just bought in August as well, uh, but they are some type of software that for short form content. So those videos that are like LinkedIn or uh, YouTube shorts, something that's a minute to a minute and a half. They went and bought a company to develop that's coming to LinkedIn this year. I've started to see some of those things, but yes, LinkedIn is favoring the algorithm of people who are creating that type of content. Uh, And like you said, every time I go live, my 14,600 and some followers on, on you on LinkedIn are notified. Mm. even on mobile. I don't pay for that. I don't, you know, it's, it's just, it's great marketing and nobody else is doing it. Yeah. It's beautiful. You, you couldn't, well, I'm sure on one day that LinkedIn will find a way for us to pay for this, but, um, but yeah, I think you couldn't pay for that. Uh, getting in early on these things is, uh, is incredible. Talking about LinkedIn shorts. Um, I've had a, quite a few people ask me recently about TikTok. TikTok, of course, is a, a short video clips platform, which is primarily aimed at, at tweens, the preteen audience, although it is used by um, you know a surprisingly uh, large range of people. I don't see that as a particularly useful business tool right now, not for MSPs anyway, because it's, I don't think it's how you would reach proper decision makers. But I guess if they're going to put short, short videos onto, onto LinkedIn and algorithmically give them that amount of attention, that could be an incredible incredible tool in the future as well. Andrew, you and I are going to continue this conversation. There's so many more things that I want to ask you about. Um, I want to ask you about some of your early businesses, especially what you were doing aged eight uh, as an entrepreneur. Um, I'm going to ask you as well about your branding. So obviously for people listening on this podcast, they can't see you, but you are just amazing at your branding and your, your company is called Orange Nomad. And as I'm sitting here watching you on my screen as, as we're recording our video interview, there's orange everywhere. So I want to talk to you about branding. Um, I know you coach MSPs and you do kind of groups of MSPs. So I want to get some insights from you on that, on, on what successful MSPs do. And also just a few more questions on LinkedIn and how you personally use LinkedIn. So we're going to continue that interview on YouTube. If you want to watch the extended interview with myself and Andrew, you just go on to youtube.com slash MSP marketing. But just to finish up here on the podcast, Andrew, just tell us a little bit more about what you do, how you can help MSPs, and how someone can get in touch with you. One of the things I'm excited about this year is doing more uh, cohort type coaching. Uh, very small groups where, you know, we get in there, we challenge each other. It's more of a competition based. Um, that way I can do greater good. Those, those people that are left standing in the MSP space, uh, especially this year, I want to be able to help them utilize uh, the tools that are there so that they can be efficient, they can grow, they can scale and get the most out of their MSP. OrangeNomad.com or you can find me on LinkedIn uh, in YouTube. We're going to get back to our regularly scheduled uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday afternoon live streams real soon. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. 
This week's recommended book. Hi, my name's Rob Jolliffe. I'm president of Microage Kitchener and Sabre Limited. I'm recommending the book Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking by Malcolm Gladwell. This book covers or explains why people make cognitive decisions emotionally instantaneously without even realizing that they're doing it. And it is a great read, especially to understand modern marketing. Coming up next week. Hey everyone, it's Max Kruger. I'm the general manager of the compliance manager business unit here at Kaseya. And I'm looking forward to be on next week where I'll talk about the new compliance as a service revenue opportunity that you can add to your MSP stack. We'll also be asking the question, are you charging everyone properly for everything? It's really easy to be flippant and say, of course we're charging our clients properly no problem at all but you know the number of msps over the years that i've challenged to go in and actually check go and check every single record and the number of times that they have found there are users that have joined that the client isn't being charged for or even services added that a bill has never been sent our world is complex the number of services that you supply it's complex so we'll be talking next week about just checking that going to make sure that you have charged for absolutely everything that you deliver put it this way imagine if you were undercharging your clients by 10 percent just by getting the charging right correctly charging them for stuff they're already buying is potentially going to increase your revenue with no real pain for your clients certainly no additional pain of buying extra things we're also going to be talking about increasing your customer service levels and therefore your customer satisfaction levels it's about spotting problems before they become real issues and also just having a reputation for being the guys that really care about your clients don't forget, we've got tons of original content for you on our YouTube channel. The extended interview with Andrew Moon is there now. And on Thursday, we're going to put up another episode of Another Bite. It's the show about the show where host Sophie Law interviews me and sometimes some of our guests as well about the big topics that we discuss in this podcast. You'll find all of that at youtube.com slash Marketing. In fact, while you're there on YouTube, please do subscribe to our channel and subscribe to wherever you listen to this podcast. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.